Um, I wanted to <clears throat> focus on the, uh, I'm preaching through the Lord's Prayer right now, and wanted to focus uh, specifically on the petitions, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And uh, rather than save the main point of the meditation for the end, I'll just give it to you at the beginning and uh, then go about attempting to prove it. And the point <clears throat> is that we have a warrant and a solid basis for these daily prayer meetings and specifically for the repeated request that God send revival and the Lord's Prayer is that warrant for um, this activity that we're doing. Specifically, the petitions, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we need a warrant uh, to pray for revival and to do so repeatedly day after day, or we will never be able to continue. Uh, we will grow weary and we will quit. And we need confidence hope. We need faith to believe that we're on the right track. And I believe that the Lord's prayer uh, gives us that confidence. <clears throat> oh, have you ever had the experience where you're talking on your cell phone with someone and you're going on and on and on and all of a sudden you realize the call was dropped and you've been talking to yourself the whole time? I hate that. I hate talking to no one when I think I'm talking to someone. And prayer is like that. None of us wants to pray and pray and pray and not be heard by God. None of us wants to uh, bring petitions before God repeatedly, which God won't grant. And the good news is that we don't have to engage in that kind of futility because Christ taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer Um to guide them in how to pray, uh, to give them petitions that God would grant, not petitions that God would ignore. And uh, so that should be an encouragement to us. Uh, the disciples said, teach us how to pray, and the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, is his answer uh, to their request. Um, it has become, of course, a meaningless ritual in, in many liberal churches and their liturgies, um, it's much like a mantra in Catholic churches that's just repeated over and over again, unthinkingly to, as, as a magic spell, so to speak, something to get God's attention by good works. Um, so we don't want to do any of that, but it is to be used and it is to be employed. It's to serve as an outline for our requests. And so the, the issue of what should we petition God for the Lord's Prayer is the answer to that question. Um, the, we're to address God as Father. Jesus taught us to address him as such. There's lots of titles that the Bible gives us to address God by, all of which are reverent and, and good. But when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray our Father. And that should give us confidence in prayer because we are God is family. He is our Father. We can approach him. He loves us. And the first request out of our mouth, the greatest burden is to be, hallowed be thy name. Oh, we are his children. He is our father. And we want him to be esteemed and respected and loved in this world. And it bothers us greatly when his name is blasphemed all day long uh, in this world. And it bothers us when we don't revere him the way we should. 
before focusing on the, those petitions, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, I want to jump ahead to give us this day our daily bread, because in that petition, it is implied that we are to pray daily. Uh, give us this day our daily bread, not give us this week our weekly bread. Um, so we have a warrant for coming to God daily, um, asking him for the same thing over and over again. Uh, God didn't require creativity in us. He gave us an outline from which to pray. Um, so daily prayer. Um, notice also the corporate aspect of it by the first person plural pronouns, our father. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. So here we have a warrant for corporate prayer, corporate daily prayer, and repetitious requests, not meaningless repetition as the Gentiles, you know, mantras that are repeated over and over again, but nevertheless repetitious. Um, this is something that we pray through one day and the next day we get up and we do it again. Um, it is also implied that we do it early in the morning for it makes no sense to pray, give us this day our daily bread at the end of the day. So now we come to the petitions that is where I want to focus, and that's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the Lord's prayer is a God-centered prayer, and uh, we don't come to God and say, my kingdom come, my will be done. It's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And just as a 911 number was not given, at least for you Americans, a 911 number is not given for us to order pizza. Uh, so prayer was not given to us to indulge our lusts for greatness or for other things. It's given to us to beseech God concerning the great matters of his own kingdom. So what is the kingdom? Well, simply put, it's the rule of Christ. He is a king and he rules by administering justice and righteousness in the hearts of men. And he does so by the Holy Spirit. He is in heaven bodily, seated at the right hand of God. He ascended there, sat down on the throne and began to rule. Then he promised he would send the Holy Spirit. And that is the spirit of himself. Spirit of this Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Jesus, also called the spirit of the father. The spirit comes down to bring the kingdom of God from heaven down to men in the hearts of men, subduing their sin, ruling them, subduing their sin and making them agreeable to Christ's commandments. And then when you look at the book of Acts, it's really just one long example of what happens when those who pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is answered of the disciples. Um, coincidentally, <laughs> are in a prayer meeting um, early in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is given according to promise. Then things begin to radically change. Heaven comes down and glory fills their souls. The will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven, cheerfully, quickly, consistently, not, not perfectly, of course, in this life. But Peter becomes a bold preacher uh, and his former cowardice is greatly subdued. 3,000 people who had formerly shouted, <clears throat> crucify him, were suddenly changed and altered just overnight, I mean, instantly transformed into trembling, repentant souls. 
who begged for mercy and were then baptized. And then this newly formed congregation of souls, which consisted mostly of babes in Christ, instantly becomes a model church for all churches throughout all subsequent ages, and one that most of us, sadly, can only wistfully long for. Um, you know, we, we, we wish our churches were like the Acts 2 church that we see there at the end, where it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the infant church of babes in Christ. This is what they were doing. And this is because the spirit was poured out upon them. I think that what you see there is what has historically been called revival. Uh, this is what happens when God answers the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And on throughout the rest of the, the book of Acts, time doesn't permit me to go through every marvelous instance of what was happening, but you, you are familiar with the, uh, the acts. So the obvious question is, why don't we see this happening in our day? And why haven't we seen it happen actually for quite a long time? And I can think of a few reasons why. Uh, for some, the reason is simple. They're not praying, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the Apostle James said, you do not have because you do not ask. So are you praying, dear believer, as Christ taught you to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Another reason might be that we are praying as he taught us to pray, but without any faith that God will hear us. Maybe we're like the man who prays for rain but never carries an umbrella with him. Does it appear that that man thinks God is going to send rain? And could any moment, any day, it doesn't look like he does. So the prayer for rain is really meaningless. It's a meaningless ritual that he does. He has no faith. And as scripture tells us, we must pray in faith. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Let not that man think he will receive anything. So why would someone pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and not believe it would be granted? Is it because we think that we're too wicked today for God to bring his kingdom? Well, we're definitely exceedingly wicked. But since when has God ever withheld his good mercy from sinners because they were too bad to deserve it? Too bad for mercy? Isn't the whole point of mercy and the very definition of the word, uh, doesn't that presuppose great evil? Of course, we all agree, I think, that God doesn't have to grant mercy. That's also inherent in the definition. It doesn't have to be given. It implies God's sovereign right to withhold it. But then we need to remember who 
taught us to pray this way. Wasn't it Jesus, the one mediator between God and men? Do we suppose that he put this prayer in our mouths because he wanted us to just chase rabbits and fail? I think the fact that he taught us to pray this way is warrant enough to believe that God is favorably disposed to grant the, the request. Um, eschatology might be another issue. Maybe you believe that things are going to get worse and worse and not better. That is, you're a premillennialist or an amillennialist, not a postmillennialist. Indeed, there are a number of passages that talk about things getting very bad in the last days, and we need to understand what's meant by the last days. But there are passages like Second Thessalonians 2 that talk about a great apostasy, one that it, you can make a good argument we're living in, <clears throat> and the man of lawlessness being revealed, and those things need to be reckoned with. There is the book of Revelation that speaks much of great evil in the world up to the point of judgment day. So I acknowledge those things and I give them due, <coughs> excuse me, I give them due diligence. But what I want to suggest is that it doesn't actually matter what your eschatology is when it comes to praying the Lord's prayer and doing so in faith. Uh, first, we should pray these petitions in obedience to Christ, no matter how bad we think the world is or how bad we think it will become. We do so because he told us to pray this way. Secondly, we should pray in faith that God will answer these petitions, however well that fits or doesn't fit with our eschatology, because Christ was the one who gave us these petitions. And our duty to pray them and to pray them in faith is actually something of far greater clarity than our eschatology. Um, there are many mysteries and many questions and many debatable points within eschatology. There really isn't any debatable point here that we're supposed to pray this and supposed to pray in faith. Um, fourthly, if your eschatology emphasizes that things are always going to get worse, and if you believe that there will be no revival until a millennial period, then it raises the question, why has God already poured out his spirit in so many places in the world and in so many eras, bringing revival and awakening to so many? The same logic could have been used in any century, including the first century, to dissuade people from ever thinking such blessings would occur. And yet such blessings did occur. They could have likewise reasoned, well, scriptures say things are going to get worse and worse until a millennium, so there's no point in praying for this. And yet they were praying, and they did receive God's outpouring of the Spirit and revival. So, was God just humoring the misguided prayers of his people? I don't think so, but if so, I'd like to see him humor us again. So, the Lord's Prayer is the way Christ taught us to pray. And in it, we see daily prayer, we see corporate daily prayer, we see repetition in the petitions in corporate daily prayer, and in the petitions, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we see a request for what has historically been called revival. And I hope this encourages you as it does me to press on in our prayers. Amen.